Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Quill. Today's episode features Donna Catamero, Associate Director of Myeloma Translational Research at the Mount Sinai Health System in New York. She will be discussing part two of how to incorporate new treatment options for patients with relapsed refractory myeloma into your clinical practice, focusing on the currently approved BCMA-targeted agents Belantamab Mafodotin and Idacabtagene Viclucel. Check back to hear part one of this series with a discussion on other novel agents for patients with relapsed refractory myeloma by Tiffany Richards, nurse practitioner at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. This episode is part of a larger educational program titled Navigating the Increasingly Complex Therapeutic Landscape in Contemporary Myeloma Care. Please go back and listen to our previous podcast episodes on newly diagnosed myeloma and what to do after first relapse to hear more. For more information on Ms. Catamero, along with a link to the complete program, including downloadable slide sets and instructions on how to claim CE credit for listening to this podcast, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what the experts have to say. Yes, thank you. And I have the opportunity to talk about some really exciting uh, new therapies we have in multiple myeloma and also some exciting clinical trials we have in the pipeline. So the introduction of anti-CD38 monoclonal antibodies such as daratumumab and isotuximab has significantly improved patient outcomes. But what happens when patients become refractory to these novel agents? So the Monmouth trial actually looked at this patient population and saw that once patients become refractory to CD38 monoclonal antibodies, they have extremely poor outcomes. And this study really demonstrated that um, there is an unmet need in this patient population. So um, therefore, we need more novel uh, treatment modalities to improve patient outcomes. So BCMA is a novel therapeutic target in um, myeloma um, as BCMA is universally expressed on myeloma cells. And we see an increase in BCMA expression as um, with advanced myeloma. So BCMA um, really is the driver for cell proliferation and cell survival. So this actually makes a really good target for um, uh, therapies. There are several um, novel mechanism of actions that target BCMA. So the first one is an antibody drug conjugate. And this is an antibody that um, targets BCMA receptor, and it's carrying a cytotoxic payload. And that payload is released into the cell and causes cell death. The next um, mechanism of action is CAR-T therapy, where we take the patient's own T cells, re-engineer them with a chimeric antigen receptor that targets BCMA. So now the, cell, uh, the T cells will directly kill the myeloma cell. And then finally, you see bispecific antibodies, and this is directing the T cell to the myeloma cell. So as we know, antibodies have two arms, and one arm is grabbing onto that T cell while the other arm is grabbing onto the myeloma cell, and it it brings them together and causes cell death. So um, we can discuss uh, several newly FDA-approved agents 
The first one is um, Belantamab Mafodotin. So this is a first-in-class um, drug conjugate approved in multiple myeloma. It was FDA-approved last summer uh, for patients with relapse refractory myeloma um, with, after receiving at least four prior lines of therapy and should have had exposure to an anti-CD38 monoclonal antibody, a proteasome inhibitor, and an imodulatory agent. Belantamab mafodotin is um, starting dose at 2.5 mg per kg, given as an IV infusion over 30 minutes every three weeks. Um, so this is truly a um, single agent uh, therapy. So we don't typically uh, dose with a steroid. Uh, the only time that I would add in a steroid is if the patient is having an infusion-related reaction, then we can certainly add in um, a steroid as a pre-medication pre-medication. Belantamab mafodotin is only available through a REMS program due to the ocular toxicity, and we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. So patients um, need to be counseled about um, the ocular toxicity associated with this drug um, and the importance of eye exams prior to each dose. So let's just briefly go over the clinical trial which led to FDA approval. And this was a phase two trial looking at relapse refractory patients with at least three prior lines of therapy who were either refractory or intolerant to the three classes of drugs. The overall response rate in all the patients was 31%. That patients who did respond had deep responses. And when we look at the median duration response, we see um, that for all patients, it was 11 months. So patients who are responding get deep and durable responses. So there are some considerations when giving belantamab mafodotin. So the most common um, uh, treatment-related uh, adverse event is karyotopathy with ocular toxicity, as well as thrombocytopenia and infusion-related reactions. So karyotopathy is um, damage to the corneal uh, epithelium, and patients can either present with uh, decreased visual acuity, blurred vision, or dry eyes. Um, some patients may actually be asymptomatic. So that's why we have to stress the importance of complying with the REMS program that patients do have an eye exam, and this would include a visual acuity with a slit lamp test at baseline and then prior to each dosing so that we can monitor for worsening symptoms because patients might not necessarily exhibit symptoms, but we want to catch it on exam. So how we manage this is we advise patients um, to use preservative-free eye drops at least four times a day and to avoid contact um, lenses. Um, we also will monitor closely patients for our cytopenia, so we will be checking counts frequently. Um, so if a patient is experiencing a toxicity, we want to withhold the dosing, um, and then we can resume at a lower dose. So we would go from 2.5 mg per kg down to 1.9 mg per kg. The next option is Idacel, which is a BCMA-directed CAR-T therapy. And this was recently approved back in March. And this, again, is for relapse refractory patients who've had at least four lines of therapy and, again, exposed to um, all three classes of drugs, a, a proteasome inhibitor, an modulatory agent, and an anti-CD38 monoclonal antibody. 
So the recommended dose for Ida cell will range from 300 to 460 million cells. And the dose is really dependent on manufacturing. Um, Ida cell can only be infused at a certified um, healthcare facility under the REMS program. Um, and all patients will receive lymphodepleting chemotherapy, and this will typically consist of uh, cyclophosphamide and fludarabine. We will pre-medicate our patients with an acetaminophen and an H1 antihistamine, very similar to how um, we uh, pre-medicate for any blood product. And again, this is to prevent any infusion reactions. It is very important that we counsel patients and their caregivers about um, potential toxicities with Ida cell. And this includes cytokine release syndrome or CRS and neurotoxicity. So just briefly, um, let's review the, the pivotal clinical trial, which led to FDA approval. And this was the Calmer trial. Um, and this was a phase two dose escalation trial. And again, the patient population was refractory uh, and triple class exposed who were, um, were uh, refractory to the last line of therapy. At the highest dose level, we have an overall response rate of 81% of which 39% had a CR or better. Um, most common um, related adverse uh, events was CRS, but it was mainly limited to grade one and two. So there are some considerations uh, for Ida cells. So uh, the most common adverse events uh, were CRS, neurotoxicity, hypogammaglobulinemia, and prolonged cytopenias. So when we do administer um, Ida cell, again, it has to be at an approved center and patients will be very closely monitored for a minimum seven days up to two weeks. And this will typically be in an inpatient setting. Um, once a patient is discharged, we ask them to stay close by to the, um, to the center for at least four weeks following their infusion. And then we ask patients not to drive for um, approximately eight weeks after their infusion. During that time period, we're frequently monitoring blood counts as we do see prolonged cytopenias, and we want to provide supportive care, which can consist of transfusion support, growth factors, um, and also we want to monitor the patient's IgG level. If it does drop below 400, we want to administer IVIG on a monthly schedule. So um, CRS is a potentially life-threatening complication of CAR-T, um, and typically it, it can actually occur anywhere from day zero all the way up to uh, 30 days post-infusion. Um, but it's been my experience that we, the average time a patient will start exhibiting symptoms will be between days four and 10. Um, CRS can typically um, exhibit as fevers, malaise, fatigue, but before we want to rule in CRS, we must rule out infection. So if a patient is presenting with fevers, the first um, action would be to do an infection workup um, before, you, again, as you rule in the CRS. A more um, life-threatening complications uh, would be your hypertension, tachycardia, uh, neurological changes, and respiratory distress, as well as co coapathies. 
So how do we manage CRF? So I'm going to refer you um, a great research resource is the prescribing brochure, but typically a grade one CRS is something that we can um, manage with supportive care. If it is an early onset of CRS, we can administer tocilizumab um, at a dose of eight mg per kg as an IV infusion over one hour. Uh, for grade two and three CRS, this is more acute where um, we need more aggressive management. So we would initiate tocilizumab as well as um, plus or minus corticosteroids. Uh, for more severe cases of CRS, so grade four, patients will be transferred to the ICU. Um, and again, we would administer uh, tocilizumab with steroids. Um, and we can also consider other anti-cytokine uh, agents if we exceed tocilizumab over three doses in a 24-hour period. So neurotoxicity can happen either concurrently with CRS or be an isolated event. So um, what we do as prophylaxis is we will give um, anti-seizure medications and we usually initiate this at the time of the lymphodepleting chemotherapy. We're gonna monitor our patients for signs and symptoms. And this is where caregivers become very crucial because again, we can see delayed neurotoxicity. So the patient might already be discharged at home um, so caregivers are very crucial um, in the supportive care for patients. So um, neurotoxicity can present as headaches, confusion, cognitive changes, tremors, or seizures. And then, of course, we will um, provide supportive care, again, with the uh, anti-seizure medications and with steroids. So um, we can also offer uh, clinical trials. So siltacel um, is another CAR-T agent. Um, this has two binding, BCA binding domains, um, and we are anticipating an FDA approval either at the end of this year or at the beginning of next year. Um, so just briefly, the CAR-T2 trial um, enrolled a similar patient population of relapse refractory patients with prior exposure um, to all three classes. The overall response rate was approximately 95% uh, of which 67% of patients had a stringent CR. Um, when we look at medium uh, progression-free survival at 12 months, approximately 77% per, uh, of patients were disease-free. Uh, the most common uh, toxicities associated with this, of course, are CRS and neurotoxicity, but it was mainly grade one and two. Um, and then we also have some other promising clinical trials, and this is with the bispecific antibodies. These are all in early phases, but you can see we have some promising um, overall response rates upwards towards 73% uh, of patients. Thank you very much, Ms. Catamero, and thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full program, Navigating the Increasingly Complex Therapeutic Landscape in Contemporary Myeloma Care, and to find our other podcast episodes for this program, please click on the link in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening.